We will be in Romans chapter 8 once again. We'll be going a little bit further than what we did uh, last week. But before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I stand here, Lord, unable to do anything with this Word, only what You can do through it. Father, right now I pray that Your Spirit would move in us through this Word. Lord, that we would um, want to rise up and be obedient. Lord, we would want to live this thing out like we're supposed to. We would want to be a, a testimony to who You are and Lord, what You've done in our lives. Father, I pray right now if there's anybody in here that don't know who You are, Lord, today would be the day that their eyes are open. Lord, they would come to You out of faith. Father, we thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we looked last week at the first few chapters of uh, the first few verses of Romans chapter 8. And what I'd like to do is kind of go back and bounce on that. Those who weren't here, and it's just good to have a reminder because we're quick to forget, right? Romans, the whole book of Romans, is kind of a, a progression. Uh, in, a, in a Christian's life, where we started out being condemned, uh, how we're justified, and what justification leads to. In Romans 8.1, we've seen that word, therefore. And Paul was looking back to everything he had just said. And he said, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Well, no condemnation from what? Well, you have to look back. He said that we stood before God condemned. As men, we are born into sin. Men and women. We are born into sin. We are without God. Our sinful nature says, I'm God, right? We don't want the things of God. So he brings us there and he shows us in two categories. He shows us that Jews are sinners. He shows us that Gentiles are sinners because at this time, Jews thought they had it right and they thought the Gentiles were the ones without God. He said, no, everybody, all of mankind is born not wanting God. We are sinful. And then he shows us that God didn't leave us without hope. And in about chapter 3, he starts to show us how God made a way. How God used His own Son to pay for our sins. How He sacrificed Him on the cross for our sins. That's wonderful news, right? We're not, we don't have to be without God. Now, when you, when you, have, when you see what you've been saved from, you, you have to see what you were condemned of before that, right? Being saved doesn't mean anything until I see what I've been saved from. But our chapter 8 says there's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. Just the opposite of that. So there is condemnation for those who are not in Jesus Christ. That's a warning. Now what does that mean? That carries a weight there. So to be under the condemnation of the law we have now would say, well, you would go to jail. Or you might do something so uh, heinous that you would be killed for it here, right? That's different. That's man's law. That is the law we go by here. God's law carries a much, much heavier weight. This means we stand as an enemy of God and we will stand under His wrath. That's not man's wrath. We can't even come close to the wrath of God. Even our wrath here is all short. God's wrath never ends. There's another warning. Now as he moves th throughout Romans, 
He gets to about chapter 6 and he moves into sanctification. So he says you're condemned, but God made a way. Now you are justified. Now if God made this way, we have faith in Jesus Christ. We stand before God now not condemned anymore. We stand under the righteousness of Christ. Now it's important to know it's nothing that we can do to make us right before God. It is only because of Jesus Christ. Now if our sins are put on Him and His righteousness is put on us, when we stand before God, all He sees is Jesus. It's not that sinner there anymore. It's Jesus. I am covered by His blood. I am covered in His righteousness. And we see that this process, once you're justified, leads into sanctification. I said last week, this looks kind of like a chart where you are justified and you're not condemned anymore. You will never drop below that again. But that sanctification is kind of like a stair step. You know how your life goes. I got it today. I'm on it today. And then bam. And then I'm on it today. And then bam. It's not, it should be a continual rise over a long period of time. But all those in-betweens, when you zoom in on it, there's rough days, there's bad days, and there's good days, right? He, he shows us what this sanctification looks like. And he's still showing us in chapter 8. But as we get to chapter 8 and we read the words in verse 1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to understand that first. Because none of this other stuff is going to make any sense. It might make a little bit of sense, but you're not going to feel the freedom when you read the rest of this to know because he's going to do a big contrast here between those who are in the Spirit and those who are in the flesh. So to know that I am in Christ Jesus means there is therefore now no condemnation. There will never be again. Like I said last week, the, the chapter 8 of Romans starts out with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. We will never be condemned and we will never be separated from the love of God. Amen? That's something to praise God about, right? So let's move a little bit further. We read that there is no longer, there is no longer any condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. We did uh, look at verse 2. The reason why there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ is because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. This is all God. Verse 1 tells us we're delivered from the legal condemnation. Verse 2 says we are being delivered or delivered. This is the sanctification process. We are delivered from the law and the power of sin. Now, to be set free from this law does not mean that we don't have a responsibility to God anymore. Matter of fact, that's the only way we can fulfill it. Without the Spirit, you can't do anything righteous. You can't do anything pleasing to God. And we're going to see that as we move along. Verses 3 and 4. This explained how sinful corruption of the flesh made the law powerless to men. We see, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh. The flesh weakened the law. That's what damned us. The law was always perfect, holy, and good, but we're none of those things. And then we see that by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, came as we are, without sin though, 
and for sin. He became the payment for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did you get that? You can only walk. You can fulfill the law of God. You can fulfill what is righteous. You can, you can do what God loves if you are in the Spirit. But if you're not, you can't do it. It cannot be done. And now we move into our verses for today. Over these next seven verses, you're going to see a contrast between two types of people. Those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. Verse 5 says, For those who live according to the flesh set... Sorry. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on, the, on flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit of, is life and peace. In God's eyes, there's two types of people. Only two. Those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. There is absolutely no middle ground. We see different degrees in people though, don't we? And we like to think that somebody's riding the fence. Oh, he's just, he's, he's just struggling with things here and then he's over here and then he's over. There is no riding the fence whatsoever. You are either in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. Nobody has one foot in heaven and one foot in hell. It doesn't work that way. So those different degrees we see in people kind of confuse us sometimes. You can see somebody in the world who is morally good to our standards, right? They don't do anything wrong. They might not drink. They might not cuss. They might not get agitated like even us as Christians do. And we think they're different. If they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if they are not in the Spirit, they're just as hell-bound as Hitler. There's no difference. That's the sad part about this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. An old Puritan by the name of John Bunyan said this is referred to as worldly mindedness. It is everything in life in which God is excluded. Everything in life which God is excluded. Everyone not in Jesus is in this category. No matter their political, their social status, probably some of the people we follow and pattern our lives after are without the Spirit. That really hit me this week when I was studying this. How many people do I follow and try to imitate that have nothing to do with God? Absolutely nothing. Those people are lost without the Spirit, like we said, just like a Hitler just like a Charles Manson. They're as lost as they are, and that should scare us to death. That should warn them, but it should pride us to want to tell them, to warn them, this is, this is where it ends up. You're without the Spirit. This is where it ends up. Second part of verse 5. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Let's go to Philippians 
chapter 2. I'll tell you what, let's go back to, let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. We want to look at what is what is the disposition, what, what where do unsaved people stand? And I'm not here trying to scare you. If you are saved, you are saved. I'm not here trying to tell you to question your, your Christianity. And we're going to see how we can check ourselves here in just a minute. But this is this is what the fleshly mind, these those who walk according to the flesh, this is what they um, this is what they see. This is their their disposition, if you will. Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Their end is destruction. Their God is in their belly. Now that sounds funny to us, right? But think of where all emotions come from. You get excited, you get sad, whatever it is, it all stirs up right here. They thought everything, the Jews and people of that time thought everything came from your stomach. Because that's what stirs me up, right? Their God is in their belly. Whatever I desire, that's my God. Whatever I want, whether it be things, whether it be sex, whether it be whatever. It's what I desire. It's what gets me going, right? It feeds my flesh. It says, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. That is the disposition of a fleshly person. Now, let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. What should be the disposition of the Christian? What, what should we look like? Well, we don't go to the world to look for that. We go to Christ, right? Our example. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1, starting in verse 1, and we'll go through about 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in, the, in full accord of one mind, do nothing from self-ambition or conceit. That doesn't look like the world, right? There's, there's a difference here. Do nothing from selfish amb ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Complete opposite. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is our example. Not the pattern of the world, not those we look up to that we sometimes slide into pattern our lives after. It is this right here. You want to know what it looks like to be an obedient Christian? You go to Christ. And we see that we miss the mark daily, right? So we learn through these verses that whatever preoccupies the mind, we all mind something, right? We're always thinking about something. 
You're not thinking about something. You're not breathing. Your mind is always spinning. So whatever preoccupies the mind basically controls the life. If you walk in the flesh, you are flesh. If you walk in the Spirit, you do godly things. You do things that are righteous. We see in verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You see the contrast there, right? What about death sounds good? Nothing. So why would we want to live in it? Life and peace, death. One preoccupation that we see leads to life and peace, and the other leads to death. Paul goes even further, though, about those in the flesh. He's, he's warning those who are among the Christians, but not the true Christians. Remember, he's not preaching this just to the world. The world's not listening to the Word of God. These are people that are in amongst the other Christians, right? It's the same way today. It's, I hate to say it. I hate to say it. But in every room you step in, you can say that everybody is a Christian. You can go to any church and I guarantee you can find somebody who's not. And I'm not telling to judge. I'm saying they know they're not. This is the warning. What kind of sense would it make to fool everybody in this room only to end up in hell? What are you going to do when you get there? Francis Chan preached on this one time. What are you going to do when you get there say, yeah, I'm in hell, but everybody else thinks I'm in heaven. What, does it, what good does it do? You spend your whole life just going through the motions. This is the people that he's talking to here. Don't deceive yourself, right? We get to verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Every unredeemed person, whether atheist or morally good, whatever the case, is hostile to God. They have enmity with God. God looks at them as an enemy. They could be our best friend in this world. And man, they are just the guy that I look up to, but they are an enemy to God. Like I said, verses like this should absolutely terrify the unbeliever, but it should pride us as believers to want to let them know it doesn't have to be like this. You don't have to live being hostile to God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, our righteousness only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. This is... Um, this is a hard thing for a person to learn is how to set myself aside when my whole life up until that point when I was saved, it was all about me, right? So daily, we are to die to self. Daily, I'm to put other people in front of me more than I did the day before. Does that sound, does that sound like a normal human being? So an unsaved person cannot live a godly life because they, do not, they don't have the power to even do it. There's nothing special about us. That's, that's the point of being a Christian. I can look at myself and go, I don't deserve any of this. None of it. And I can't do any of it 
without God. I can't even stand up here and open my mouth and tell you what God's saying without God. Without the Holy Spirit, you can't do the things of God. Don't even try. It's all motions. And then we read again in 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Flesh cannot submit to God's law. So therefore, the flesh can't please God. So the only conclusion we can come to is without the Spirit, you can't submit to God's law. You can't be pleasing to God. You're hostile to God. Read on in verse 9. You, however, are not. He's talking to Christians here, right? You are not in the flesh. The only people not in the flesh are those in the Spirit, those in Christ. You, Christian, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Dwell means to occupy. This is not a, I'm going to stay for a little while like an Airbnb and then I'm going to leave and go somewhere else, right? This means to take residence in. This means to live in. You will know if you have the Spirit. When you say, well, how will I know? Let's just ask the question. How do I know if, in fact, I have the Spirit of God dwelling in me? How do you know if you have Him dwelling in you? What evidence could we look at to see, right? So let's look at Galatians chapter 5. We're going to see the contrast here between both. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the things of the flesh. And then we see, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God in you, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you are in Jesus, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is not asking if you have mastered these things because none of us ever will while we're here. Paul just got through telling us in chapter 7 that I do the things, the very things that I hate. Sin is still in my members. And we see the battle there. Do you see evidence of these things in your life? And if the answer is yes, that's the only way you got them. Not am I nice to people. But do I genuinely have a love for people? Do I have genuinely have joy? Do I genuinely have peace? Not made up. Do I genu genuinely have patience? Some days I don't. Some days I do. Remember, this is the battle. When you give up against sin, when you say you can have it, you don't have any of these things. But when you fight it, you do. Now, we move on to verses 12 and 13, which is kind of where we're getting the responsibility of the Christian. What are, we to, what are we to do? Okay, we're in Christ. 
And Paul says, I do the things that I don't want to do and I'm, I'm, at ba I'm battling with this. What, what does this look like? What do I do here? Verses 12 and 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. We already know this, right? The flesh is death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death, put to death the deeds of the body. So he's saying, so then, brothers, fellow Christians, true Christians, right? Because of everything I just told you, we're debtors. What does it mean to owe, what does it mean to be in debt? I almost just told you the answer. What does it mean to be in debt? You owe. So we are debtors. We are no longer condemned. We are set free from the law of sin and death. We no longer are ruled over by sin. And we have life and peace through the Spirit. We owe God everything. If this is you, you owe God everything. I owe Him everything. And I am nothing without Him. To live according to the flesh is death. He has made this clear. Paul is just hammering this drum. Get this, people. Paul has just confirmed in verse 1 of chapter 8 that we're no longer condemned. So what's he saying here? This is not a warning to true Christians. This is a warning to those whose character is according to the flesh, right? If you live according to the flesh, if your life is characterized, it does not mean when you sin, you are living according to the flesh. You did something fleshly, but you're not living according to. Your life is not characterized by the flesh if you are in the Spirit. It can't be. It does not matter your religious affiliation. It does not matter about any of that stuff. If you live, if you are characterized by the flesh, then you are standing in danger of God's judgment. And that is a very, very, very bad place to be. Verse 13 again. Second half. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is your responsibility as a Christian. That, that word, put to death, you can look at it in different versions means to mortify, to kill it. So there's the, the, the responsibility is daily because daily you can see your sin, right? So daily we are to be killing sin. What are the deeds of the body? Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. We all know things of the world. We all know things that we struggle with. Put those things to death. I want to read this story that I found, and I think it's pretty relevant to what, what we're talking about here. It says, on May 1st, 2003, Aaron Ralston, a 27-year-old backpacker, did something unthinkable in order to save his life. 
after being pinned for five days under an 800-pound boulder in a remote Utah canyon, he took his dull pocket knife and cut off his right arm to free himself. He tried chipping away at the rock at first, but it would not budge. Finally, he realized that he only had two choices. Either he must cut off his arm or he would die. On the fifth day, hungry and dehydrated, he sawed through his flesh just below the elbow in order to free himself. He walked out of that canyon with, without his right arm, but with his life. This is the exact picture that Jesus gives when he tells us how to deal with sin. You remember Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 29. It said, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Jesus not speaking literally. If I suffer with being a thief, cutting my arm off is not going to keep this other hand from stealing stuff, right? He's just telling you the way to deal with your sin in all seriousness. And what he's saying here is you must treat it, that's a good word, ruthlessly. You must be willing to give up even the things that you think are good to get rid of the sin in your life. The things that are hard. If y'all haven't noticed, this Christian thing is not easy. It's not easy to get up out of the bed because I'm fighting against myself already. This is before I even step into the world. I'm already fighting myself. And now i got to go and fight with everybody else and not sin. It's hard enough just putting up with me, much less everybody else. But he's saying, this is the degree that you go to. It should look this serious that I cut something off because it's better to not have this arm. It's better to not have these things than to be cast into hell. Dale, y'all can come on back up and we're going to have communion here in just a, a little bit too. But the question I want to ask every one of y'all is the same question I'm asking myself. Are you at war with your sins? Have you made friends of them or are you at war? Are you like Paul? I want to do the things that are good. Do you have a desire to do what is pleasing to God? Do you hate the fact that what you still do sometimes is not pleasing to Him? Is there godly sorrow when you fall short of what God demands of His children? Is there... Uh, a confession and repentance when you do sin? Or are we just pushing through the motions here and I'm forgiven so it's okay? It's like that story I read last week. If you have a love for somebody, when you sin against them, it's not like breaking a law. I have this, this sorrow, this anguish inside of me whenever I sin against God. And it might not come immediate. Most of the time, mine comes in the night. And it only drives me to beg for His mercy and, and just tell Him I'm so sorry. I've done it again. If this is you, then I pray you can answer yes to every one of them questions. Then continue the race. 
Keep fighting for your sin. One of the things I think about, if we could talk to some of these people that have, have gone on to glory, if I could reach out to Eddie, if I could reach out to, to Nick and say, is it worth it? I guarantee you every single bit of it, no matter how hard it got, was every bit of it was worth it. And then on the other side of this, if you're not, if you do not have the Spirit, if, I, if you've looked at these verses today and say, I'm, I'm in the flesh, I am begging you right now, consider Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you stand condemned. You are hostile to God. And this life is way too short and unpredictable to wait any longer.